1: I'm Don Braid for Post Media and the Calgary Herald, and this is Inside Alberta, our podcast. And that fellow across the table is Chris Farco. Chris Farco, yes. Chris is our uh, business slash politics columnist and one of the most knowledgeable people I know about the energy industry, which is going to be a lot of our conversation today uh, with all the talk about production cuts and buying rail cars. Now, I think this is as crucial a moment that this province has seen since the early 1980s. Uh, In those days, the Liberal government brought down a policy that severely challenged the earnings from oil that Alberta would get and and challenged ownership. But in those days, Chris, and that was devastating economically, but in those days, the the issue was who was going to get the money – the issue wasn't whether there was going to be any money. <laughs> and now we're in a situation with oil production where prices are so low because of federal government policy failures, because of the unfortunate court decision, because of access. All of those things have brought us to this crisis point where oil is, as Jason Kenney said the other day, selling for less than a liter of, of water. Now, one, one of the uh, bottled water, one, one of the ideas here is rail, uh, buying rail capacity, Um, And the other one, of course, is production cuts or curtailment. I prefer cuts. Just take out the R from the first four letters and you get cut because that's what it is. It's cuts, not curtailment. But I'll just talk about the rail thing for a moment. First of all, it's going to be very expensive. Um, the rail cars would not even start to come online until the end of 2019. Now, maybe there's an argument that that would be very useful over time. If there are any constraints of, of capacity, shipping capacity on future pipelines, you should have those trains. But honestly, that's a long way out to be spending like $500 million because it's almost that much. Um, so, But they're going ahead with it. They say they're going to do it. And we could hear an announcement very soon. We're hearing, and Chris is hearing, that there is going to be talk in Cabinet or with the Premier this weekend about making a decision. So let's throw to Chris who can talk about options. Like there are three or four really interesting things that can be done on the cut side, and they're all really complicated but very interesting. Chris, go (laughs) <laughs> no pressure. Um, no pressure. W-
0: well, Don, I think really what you've just enunciated is the issues of the short, the medium, and the long term. We all know that the long term solution to Alberta's problem of getting its crude to market is pipelines. But pipelines are at a minimum one year away, and maybe more for some of the other pipelines. So now we're talking about the short and midterm options that are facing the government. The midterm option, is, as you just pointed out as well, is rail. They would like to order up some rail cars uh, and have two large unit trains moving about 120,000 barrels of Alberta crude out of the province down to the U.S. Gulf Coast, where it can get to refiners. That's going to cost probably three to four hundred million dollars to buy the locomotives and cars to make that now happen. You just told me a few
1: minutes ago, Chris, that they'd have to buy eighty locomotives.
0: That's the number that I've heard. Is that it takes you know a week or more than a week for one of these large unit trains to rumble from Hardesty, all the way down to, you know, Port Arthur, Texas, or down to the U.S. Gulf Coast, or wherever it's going to go. And then it has to come all the way back. Empty. So you would, yeah, so you need mm-hmm. roughly 80 locomotives. The cost, I believe, that they put to the federal government was about $350 million in capital costs. Yeah. But this is a medium-term solution, because those locomotives are going to take nine months to order up, at best, maybe a year. Mm-hmm. So that gives you some
1: mid-term solutions. And so I think- Notley did say in her, her announcement of this uh, that... Um, that the cars wouldn't start to come online until late 2019, and then they would all be, all be working by 2020. Right. And who knows what conditions are by then, right? Maybe the pipeline is building, maybe prices have gone up, maybe prices have gone down, who knows? But it seems like a real long-range symbolic gamble rather than any kind of immediate solution. Well,
0: I think they're trying to pr- give a positive message that there's a midterm solution out there. and That is a midterm solution. So that gets us to the short term. And this is where the issues get really dicey for the government and the industry, because right now the winter drilling season is just coming together. This is the most important time for drillers to get out in the fields where they can get access to, you know, some of those areas they will need to drill. Companies are putting their budgets together right now, and the outlook is grim. That's the, the stark reality of where we are. So what does the government do? There's not a lot of short-term options. Probably the, the best option is some kind of curtailment. Or cut, Cuts. as you like to say, Don. <laughs> um, so the premier could, you know, institute some sort of across-the-board cut of 4 or 5%. That seems to be what analysts think. You know, roughly 200,000 barrels a day, if you took that off the market. Uh, Jason Kenney has called for a 10% cut, which is even larger, uh, but it would not include some of the smaller oil producers that are out there that would probably just hit the larger producers. And this is ostensibly a problem of additional oil sands bitumen production coming online over the last couple of years that has flooded the market and congested the pipeline system
1: which is already constrained. But those producers had bet on there being a pipeline by now so it's not their fault. Absolutely. It's, they're just producing the oil they invested in and now they get no money for it.
0: They invested billions of dollars in in Uh, You know, building refineries, buying downstream options, getting pipeline space. You can't fault Imperial Oil or, or Suncor or Husky Energy for, you know, planning out the market. Conversely, I don't think you can blame the producers who were anticipating that the governments would deliver on their promises to build pipelines for them to get their oil out of market. And as Peter Terzak in the noted energy economist, economist, has said, the contagion on the price discount for heavy oil has now spread to light oil. It's hitting everybody. So that's why the government needs to act. And it has to act soon if it hopes to provide confidence to the market so that they can continue with the winter drilling season uh, and also, investors have been bailing out of oil and gas stocks for months now, and they're looking for some sort of signals of confidence as well so,
1: so we're coming to the crunch we are. because as as Kenny pointed out when he made his announcement about cuts um he said you've got to do this quick because the legislature is going to rise there is a a critical change that has to be made to the mines and minerals i guess put bitumen as a word in it Uh, and the ledge is going to rise within a week uh scheduled to and and the only other option would be to call them back later if you make a decision so something could very well happen early this week and chris you've heard that there's probably going to be meetings this weekend so let's talk about what specifically the two or three things they could do you talked about a strategic reserve you Sure. So let, let's have those.
0: Well, so what I've heard is, and this is coming from people in the industry, and we've seen some reports from analysts say one of the options would be offering a royalty holiday, that the government could offer a royalty holiday to producers, in in, in its essence saying you don't need to produce the royalty barrels for us, for the government. You can keep those in the ground for a period of time. You get a royalty holiday and giving the government its share, and that this would cut production enough so that the market would return to equilibrium, and then the government could collect those barrels later from these producers on the behalf of Albertans and get their money back and more. But there are problems
1: with that too, right?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it would mean that the government would have to forego revenue. And it would also, you know, for a short period of time or maybe a midpoint of time, six months. This is not a government rolling in cash, as as you've detailed, you know, extensively with multi-billion dollar deficits. So that's the first Practical problem. The other one is, in some ways, it's still a voluntary cut. So our, you know, the, the companies themselves don't necessarily have to scale back their production. So there's some companies which think it's not a practical solution. Mm-hmm. That's one option. The other one is a mandatory, as we said, that Jason Kenny has described as a mandatory cut. Mm-hmm. The third option that has been floated by some players is creating some sort of strategic petroleum reserve. The United States has had a, what they call an SPR for decades, dating back to the original oil crises in the 1970s and 80s, where they have so much oil in storage that if, if the oil production never got cut off, they could dip into these reserves, these mm-hmm. you know huge storage caverns and tanks. So the idea being floated by, by an organization like the Explorers and Producers Association of Canada is that the government would go out and lease some of the existing uh, space that's already out there. So these are, you know, caverns and tanks, which are already full with oil. They're brimming at capacity. The government would go in and buy those barrels and lease that space for a period of time and try and alleviate the pressure from the market.
1: You now, presumably they could sell the barrels later when the price goes up and make a profit. But meanwhile, how much is this government going to have to spend if they're going to be almost a half a billion dollars on, on rail? And if they did something like that, how much would that cost? Have you any idea?
0: No, but it would be big. I mean, we're talking a lot of barrels and we're talking a lot of barrels and storage that would need to be acquired. The other problem is is I, I'm not really certain whether that would, would solve the big issue or not. Somebody once described to me this problem as as a, as a tub of water. And the water is oil and it's full, but the water is still pouring through. And, it, and so you can't just solve it by, by either draining the tank at the bottom or pushing in the tap. You have to do both at the same time. Otherwise, the water is going to continue to spill out. And so that's what the government has to figure out is how do you drain the oil that's already being stored and in reserve? And how do you slow down production at the same time?
1: Well, it's very complicated, and one thing about what they're going to do, whatever it is they're going to do, is it has to work. I mean, it has to work because otherwise this province is heading for it. Now, I'm not sure if Kenny's number was right, but he said we're looking at an $8 billion deficit now that's this year. It could go to $15 billion, and I think that's probably a fairly credible estimate. So this has got to work, but probably most likely uh, is is the uh, the whole curtailment cut idea mandatory now. There but there are real complications there, and there are major interests who don't like that, and they they have a point as well. Absolutely,
0: the, ref, the refiners, as I said, the imperial oils of the world,
1: and the SunCore
0: energies, and the Husky energies, and the Shells, um, these are companies which have made billions of dollars of investments over the long term, and they're refiners, so they benefit on their downstream operations when they can buy oil at cheap prices and then refine it and turn it into more valuable products like yeah. gasoline and jet fuel and, and other products like that. So there is no, there's really no incentive for them to do this. And, and they're saying, well, look, we made these
1: bets a long time ago. So why should we be punished for making these bets? Well, we're going to see very soon what's going to happen. And as I said, I mean, we do tend occasionally as columnists, maybe not you, Chris, but me, maybe exaggerate a little bit. But I don't think we're exaggerating at all when we say this is a crisis point like we haven't seen in many years. Now, next week, if some miracle happens and prices bob back up, we may regret having said that. But this looks like a chronic problem that has to be fixed, and the government is on the verge of a very big gamble. You
0: know, the former Energy Minister, Ken Hughes, said to me this week, and I I thought it was very apt, it it stood out, he said, this is a -a once-in-a-generation type of decision. He was a guy who's been around long enough to remember the NEP decisions, and he equates that to this kind of scenario, that this is a -a once-in-a-generation decision. If they get it wrong, the consequences are going to be looming for a very long time. So... As you know from the political
1: perspective, the stakes here are enormous, and we've got a provincial election in the spring. Right, and everybody's trying to grab credit for an idea. Like, Kenny is being criticized for having first said he he thought the cut should be voluntary, and now he's saying they should be mandatory. Everybody's trying to say that they had the idea first and whatever they do, but I guarantee if the idea doesn't work, it will be nobody's <laughs> idea. <laughs> so that was Inside, Pol- Inside Alberta for this week, and we'll see you next week.